mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, proponents call it a once-in-a-generation opportunity to invest in Findlay's outdoor infrastructure. And despite some misgivings, city leaders have given the green light to plans for a downtown recreation area. We'll speak with Mayor Christina Byrne, who has championed the idea from the start. Also this morning, it was one year ago this week that the Webb Space Telescope beamed back its first jaw-dropping images of the universe. Has this $10 billion project lived up to expectations? And what discoveries lie ahead? And no summer break for the University of Findlay's Mazza Museum. Their annual summer conference and art camp among the activities in the month of July. Director Ben Sapp will tell us what's happening. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Thursday, July 13th, 2023. Did you know that today is National French Fry Day? That is right. French Fry Day today, and there are deals to be had. Um, let's see here. The Golden Arches are celebrating. You can grab a free order of any size crispy fries via the McDonald's mobile app today. No purchase necessary. Uh, also... Uh, Wendy's is doing McDonald's one better uh, through today through the 16th. Uh, so right on through the weekend, you can get a free any size fry with any in-app purchase from Wendy's. You can apply the offer to mobile orders or scan. I guess there's a QR code or something at the restaurant scan in person. So uh, any size fry with a with a purchase at uh, Wendy's, and it's not just today, right on through the uh, weekend. So that's pretty good. And not only that, but in honor of uh, National French Friday, Heinz and Uber are teaming to take $5.70, uh, will take $5.70 orders that include French fries today. Um, what is that? Did I take five seventy off any order that includes French fries. I think that's how that works. Uh, You can check the offer banner in the Uber Eats homepage to find participating restaurants, as they say. So all kind of things happening for French Friday today. We want to start with the most important stories of the day. That is uh, maybe the most important news of the day. This was a kind of interesting story that I saw actually yesterday and uh, kind of makes you stop and think here. How private is your tax return? Several tax preparation companies have now been accused of sharing the data of taxpayers who use their services with sites like Google and Meta. They're sharing your tax information. You go to a tax preparation website, and a lot of us do that, right? Apparently, a number of them have been sharing that data with Google and Meta. According to a group of senators investigating the allegation, the tax prep companies are among the millions of website owners that allow tech companies to embed so-called tracking pixels on their sites. It's a code that automatically collects data on your keystrokes, whatever you type, and then send that back to uh, the tech companies. That data is then used to target advertising to individual users. Now, let me just say, I I don't have a problem with targeted advertising. I actually think targeted advertising is probably a good thing. I mean, if you're going to see ads and advertisements pay for 
the websites that we go to for free, everything from social media to news sites and, and things like that, wherever we go online, YouTube and you know all of these uh, websites, uh, the, the reason that they're free is because they are subsidized by advertising. And I'm not, a, I'm not opposed to targeted advertising in theory because if I'm going to see an ad, uh, I would much rather see an ad for a product that I am interested in than something that I have absolutely no use for that is a complete waste of my time. You know what I mean? So I'm not necessarily opposed to the idea of targeted advertising in principle, but the idea that Google and Meta are monitoring every keystroke, especially on things like my tax return, uh, is a little unsettling to say the least. According to Vox, uh, the uh, news website Vox, the report suggests that the practice is so widespread on the Internet that uh, companies including H&R Block, Tax Act, and Tax Slayer might not even have understood what they were giving away, which is a little disturbing. I, I mean, if they don't understand that basic uh, information, are they really companies that we want to trust with uh, our tax information, you know? don't understand what they are giving away and what they aren't. I don't know. Some of the other more uh, interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. We were talking about this uh, yesterday. Have your kids hit the I'm boards of summer yet? You get to the middle part of July and into August, and the kids have gone through all of the stuff that they were excited about. (laughs) All the stuff they were excited about doing in the summer when classes let out. And by now, uh, they've done all of that. And uh, so the I'm boards start to settle in. A new study by Argos found that kids say they are bored once a day on average, seven times a week. One in six parents say their kids don't have the attention spans to play the same games that they used to enjoy as kids, to do the same things they enjoy. It's a problem many parents solve by giving their child a phone or a tablet, but that actually can contribute to the problem. Uh, There are other ways, they say, to help kids use their imaginations instead. Going outside to play, creating a jar of activities they can pull ideas from, playing with your child yourself. Uh, Another great way to avoid and beat uh, the I'm boards. Dr. Elizabeth Kilby says, Play comes in so many forms, so pick something that resonates with you as as that will be much easier for you to engage in and thus engage your kids. And she says, stop worrying uh, about whether your kids will enjoy those same activities. Your kids will be thrilled just to be doing something with you. So get involved with your kids. Great way to beat the I'm boards. Uh, And it will help us, too, uh, because a new Duke University study finds that uh, people are just lonely and... (laughs) I, this I thought was uh, really interesting, and it kind of goes back to the idea of playing with our kids um, because this Duke University study found that AI robots could help people feel less lonely. <laughs> uh, robot companions could ultimately decrease the health risks that come along uh, with solitude. 10% of people experience loneliness all or most of the time 
And while researchers say having a real friend is the best solution, robots could help millions of otherwise isolated people, uh, especially for older adults, widows and widowers, things like that. Some technological solutions already exist. Services like the Papa app already allow users to rent grandchildren on demand for $17 an hour. So <laughs> play with the kids. Rent grandkids. I don't know. That is cool. So, uh, again, just talking about summertime, and everybody loves summertime. We're out uh, enjoying the uh, warm weather and doing all of these uh, fun things. Uh, but the folks at Hallmark are thinking Christmas. Was it yes? If you turn on the Hallmark Channel, doing Christmas in July with all of their holiday movies, back to back to back to back to back, you can't get enough. And if that is not enough, uh, Hallmark Channel is taking Christmas in July to the next level. The network has announced its first ever Christmas-themed cruise. That's right. Hallmark Channel Christmas Cruise. It will set sail in November of next year from Miami, Florida to Nassau, the Bahamas, aboard the Norwegian Gem, where the luxury liner, it says, will be transformed into a floating winter wonderland, complete with Christmas crafts, interactive activities with Hallmark talent, an exclusive world premiere of a new Hallmark Channel Countdown to Christmas movie, all from the comfort of a world-class theater on board. Not only that, there will be photo opportunities with Hallmark Channel stars, a Christmas tree lighting, holiday cookie bake-offs, an ugly holiday sweater contest, and more. You can sign up. Uh, I think you sign up beginning next month for the Christmas cruise uh, through Hallmark. <clears throat> I'm okay with mentioning it because my wife already knows. She already pointed that out to me. She did. The other day, she said, hey, I want to do this. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, I wasn't going to mention it, but since my wife already found out about it, I guess we can talk about it now. And uh, lastly, among the first things you need to know this morning, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day, it is state fair season. The Ohio State Fair, what gets uh, underway at the end of the month, and... Uh, into what early August? I don't. I don't remember the dates off the uh, top of my head. But you know, states uh, across the country. It's summertime. It's state fair season, right? So, what do we love most about the state fair? And it's the food, right? Fair food. It's the guilty pleasure of, I think, everyone on the planet. At the Wisconsin State Fair this year, they are featuring over one hundred new foods and drinks. Over 100 new foods and drinks being debuted at the Wisconsin State Fair. Of the more interesting, these 100 new foods, the bug brownie on a stick. (laughs) Not just a bug brownie, but a bug brownie on a stick. It is a brownie with chocolate frosting, candy corn, ants, crickets, worms, and a scorpion. I guess what? They're all baked in? These bugs are actually baked into the brownies? I think I will pass. I'm just putting it out there so that you know when you go to, I mean, because, uh, you know, all of these 
crazy fair foods have to start somewhere. This is at the Wisconsin State Fair. I don't know if they'll have it at the Ohio State Fair this year, but the bug brownie on a stick. Mm-hmm. WISTATEFAIR.ORG for a full list of all of the new foods, delicacies uh, in the world of fair food. No, thank you. I think we've officially scraped the bottom of the barrel. I mean, when we're talking about bug brownies on a stick, I think we have reached critical mass <laughs> in terms of fair foods. I think we have done everything we can possibly do with uh, you know fried fair foods. You know what I mean? I think we're at the end of the list. There you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Thursday morning started. WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather. Partly cloudy today with a chance of a shower or storm high in the low 80s. A chance of showers tonight, a low in the upper 60s. The West Ohio Food Bank has unveiled a new text alert system, making it easier for people to find out about upcoming food distributions and special events in their area. Our new mobile text alert system is now available to let folks know about when and where our distributions were happening, especially when we have pop-up distributions. As the Food Bank's Jason Aldrich mentioned, sometimes they have pop-up distributions, and the new text alert system will be a valuable tool in letting people know about them. Get more of our conversation with Jason about the new text alert system for the Food Bank in this story on our website. Family Resource Center in Finley has developed an emergency basic needs program that will distribute bags full of emergency items such as no prep foods, first aid supplies, a sleeping bag, and more. In addition to those items, we also wanted to make sure that the bags provided community resources. That way, if an individual did want further assistance, treatment, they knew where to go. Christina Christensen with Family Resource Center says the emergency need bags will be distributed upon request. Ohio's Attorney General has announced that law enforcement agencies in the state can now access a national database in an effort to curb violent crime. The Bureau of Criminal Investigation Crime Labs in Bowling Green, London, and Richfield added hardware that can connect to the National Integrated Ballistic Information Network. The laboratories are now able to accept crime guns and cartridge cases submitted by law enforcement. Nibbon makes 3D scans of cartridge cases and compares those to millions of other images in the database, identifying links to previously unconnected gun crimes in Ohio and across the country. Tracy Townsend, ONN News. The Hancock County nonprofit Welcome to a New Life will be hosting its first fundraising event. The Around the World Tour will feature foods from around the world and be held in August at the Finley Country Club. Proceeds from the event will benefit Welcome to a New Life's mission of connecting people with mentors and resources as they work to achieve a crime-free, drug-free, productive life in our community. Remember, you can always get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. So our cover story this morning is kind of funny. Uh, the past uh, several times that we've had the mayor with us on the uh, program, this is a topic that we wanted to talk about, but it always seemed like there were more pressing issues uh, at the moment. And so we did want to uh, spend some time and get more details on what proponents have called a once-in-a-generation opportunity to invest in Findlay's outdoor infrastructure. And Despite some misgivings, city leaders, it appears, are ready to move forward with a plan for a downtown recreation area. Mayor Christina Mern has been uh, a champion of this from the uh, very beginning, and 
Mayor, thanks very much for uh, dropping by. We yeah, appreciate thanks it. thanks for having me, Chris. So when we say that the uh, city leaders have given the green light to move forward, what exactly does that mean? This is actually out of committee. It has yet to be voted on by the full council, though. Correct. Yep. So typically, especially with large projects, it goes through a committee process. In this case, um, the Appropriations Committee mm-hmm. is the entity uh I should say the, you know, the original plan and kind of some of the brainstorming processes have started with the Parks and Recreation Committee. Then they recommended that we move forward with the project. It then went to appropriations. Appropriations had a couple meetings discussing it and have also then now recommended um, that council give it the full approval to enter into a contract for the design services Uh, with Strands and Associates for the design and engineering of the downtown recreation area. So uh, when we talk about design, there are some artist renderings uh, that you have or an an artist rendering that you have on the city's website. Um, So that is just preliminary? That's just a master plan. Okay. It's kind of like the dream. Right, yeah. So when you're going through a big process like this, you sit down and say, okay, here are things we definitely don't want in it. Here are some things we would really like to have, and here are things that we definitely need to have. And so we went through a brainstorming process. The the firm, Strand, who we had selected through a RFQ process, listened to us, started putting together concepts, um, said here are a couple of different design kind of styles that we would recommend. The committee, Parks and Recreation, then went through and gave feedback and said, we like this, we don't like this, please remove that. Uh, We want this moved. And so what we have right now is this concept of what the park could look like. Now what we need to do is go through and start refining each of the different elements. Because, you know, I know we've talked in the newspaper about 10 to 40 million. So that's saying if you have It's a big range. That's a huge range. And the reason is it's because, one, that's saying, okay, if you did all of these elements, you could probably get it for about $10 million. Mm Mm-hmm. However, you know, it could be if you, you know, do it in granite and marble or like, you know, or we do, you know, one of the big elements is an iconic bridge, replacing the pedestrian bridge over the river. Bridges can have a huge uh, different, you know, expense. It could be $2 million. It could be $12 million. So what we need to do now is really start refining and saying, okay, here's what we want in the end. Now, here is the design to achieve that. Here are the cost elements. And then that allows us to start refining and say, okay, right now we may only do this aspect of it. Um, And you know what? If we get additional funding, grants, or donor dollars, then we can do these elements. Mm -hmm. And maybe here in a couple years, we'll do this. And so that's kind of what we need to understand now is we need to go through the specific engineering. Um, The cost for that, you know, kind of differs based off of the cost of the project and how far... Right now, we'll you know focus on 30%, which is really the main aspects of engineering. Um, and then we'll work through and, and refine that further. When we talk about the concept, and again, mm-hmm. you know, th- this is kind of big picture okay. uh, thinking, it, it strikes me that this is not dissimilar to what Toledo has done uh, along the waterfront and what used to be the Marina District. Correct. Uh, yeah. So if, if folks uh, want an idea of what it could be or the concept of mm-hmm. this, and just drive up there. Yeah, and- Toledo, we're definitely, you know, even Defiance has a small, like, splash pad and park area that they've been developing. You know, Tiffin has an amphitheater downtown, much smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, Columbus has along the Scioto River downtown. This is something that communities are really recognizing, especially, you know, I'll say in Ohio and Northwest Ohio, we recognize that a huge element of recruiting workers at this point in time is 
the natural elements and recreation. And in Northwest Ohio, you know, we're close to lake, but we're not on it. We're not in mountains. So we need to create some of our own recreation and connectivity. And that's really an amenity, especially that young professionals and families are starting to expect in their community. So there has there have been some misgivings uh, and, and there have been some questions that have been uh, raised about this for a number of uh, different reasons. One of the uh, one of the questions you talk about creating these uh, opportunities some people have said, what are, what's wrong with the opportunities that we have uh, right now, the parks and the uh, yeah. recreation areas we have right now? Yeah, so there's nothing wrong with them. They are great. And one of the, part of the process that we worked through with Strand, which again is an, an expert in this area, is we did an inventory of all of our parks and said, what do we already have and how do we make sure that this co- um, park um, complements those other amenities? And so we're not trying to do something that is stealing away from those. But I think it's important to, one, recognize that this downtown hub creates the connection between our existing parks and starts kind of creating that web so that you can travel throughout our parks um, and looking for different things. You know, I know one of the big things has been the question of, like, is is an amphitheater necessary when we have the band shell? Well, that's, that's part of the process is, you know, deciding if it's worth it. Now, one thing that I think is important is we hear frequently from downtown businesses and users, oh, you know, Main Street gets shut off for every race that we want to do in town. This would provide an opportunity for kind of a kickoff spot. It also is not going to be an enclosed structure. It's more of a concrete pad where you could have performances, you could have yoga classes, you could have educational program overlooking the river. So I think it is pretty different from what we have. Um, plus then the parks obviously provide different shade, non-shade, different Different yeah. elements. One of the other questions that has been raised uh, about this is where it's at. I mean, this is land that was purchased mm-hmm. and cleared for the purpose of flood control. Yes. Does this diminish the flood control aspect? I mean, you're you're talking about paving over, uh, you know, parts of what is supposed to be green space to absorb those floodwaters. So definitely not. That is the top priority for this area. And anything that we do in this area has to have two main things. One, it cannot negatively impact the flood benefit of the work that's going to be completed. How are you going to do that when, again, you're paving over part of the, you know, uh, floodwater doesn't soak into concrete? Yeah, so we're also going to have very specific areas with the design working to increase some of the meadow area up farther into the area additionally just because there's impervious surface in the area doesn't mean that it's not going to still absorb water in the area so you can definitely still have the appropriate benefit from the floodwaters and the big thing is that the benching what it does is create that shelf area so we're continuing to work with one of the first things we did was connect uh, strand and associates with Stantec, the engineering firm that has been leading the charge on the flood mitigation projects. And so we're working with them. One of the big elements is the relocation of the pedestrian bridge. Right now it's in the middle and it, in, in essence, would have to be redesigned to not create a dam structure. With the new design, we're kind of looking to move it closer to the existing bridge. So you're actually having less of a hydraulic impact on the waterway. And of course, the cost is mm-hmm. uh, one of the big questions that always comes to it. And as you were mentioning earlier, we're talking really about a range uh, of, uh, of costs and the plan uh, is not necessarily set in stone as to what will be included and what Correct. isn't. Correct. And I also want to clarify that I'm not expecting the city of Finley, you know, to in to, to spend $40 million on this park. You know, yeah. from the very start, I said, you know, when I was talking to 
park, the Parks and Recreation Committee and a number of council members were in attendance and they said, we need to go big. Like this, again, is a once in a life, you know, generation, if not lifetime opportunity. This is going to change the face of downtown. And, and I said, I get that. I'm not quite, you know, comfortable with $40 million, but we'll see where the process ends up. Mm-hmm. I expect the city of Finley to invest about $10 million into this project over multiple years, setting that aside. And, you know, we, we do a lot of big projects where we're setting money aside for multiple years. And so we're in a position where we've been fortunate to have um, some increase in our income tax dollars over the last couple of years where we have some funds that we can invest. And I think, you know, all the research shows not only do you provide a benefit to your citizens through mental health and physical health improvements, but it also generates economic investment, whether it's people wanting to to build homes or buy homes or improve homes in the area or expanding. And I think that this, one of the big elements that I like about this is downtown has always had this barrier in our mind that we kind of stop at you know the uh, the river on the mm-hmm. north end mm-hmm. and i think that that this gets us over that and really starts moving us north to hopefully long-term create connectivity with the university one of the campus things, as well yeah one of the things that you mentioned uh, a little bit earlier and real quickly want to uh, expand on that and get get your thoughts you talked about uh you know maybe you know putting an initial I- investment putting this together and then adding to it as funds become available how I don't want to say risky. That's not necessarily the word that I'm looking for. But how confident are you that that would be able to happen? I mean, anybody who's ever been involved in a big project where they've had to scale things back mm-hmm. in order to make budgets work and leave parts of a project unfinished with the idea that we're going to finish them later knows that very rarely does that happen. Yeah. So first of all, that would not be my goal. You know, I I don't think phasing it is necessary. Yeah. The best option when you have you know, firms there doing work, having them do the work all at once is much more efficient. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm keeping an open mind to see, you know, how things work out. And so I think that if if we do get into a position where we need to determine those elements, I think that we're still going to make sure that we have a really great project short term, where if it stays the way it is, you know, after phase one, it's not a problem. It's still a benefit to the community. And then also making sure that if if there are elements that we want to add, that those are positioned to be able to be added at a later date. Uh, so again, this has cleared committee and you're looking at a, a vote by the full council this the, coming? The first reading will go to council on July 18th. So and next this will go through all three readings? Correct. Okay. Uh, again, uh, Finley Mayor Christina Mern with us uh, this morning talking about the uh, downtown recreation area. And again, uh, big uh, big selling point on this and you know, grand plans with the idea that this is a once-in-a-generation opportunity. Uh, so, Mayor Mern, thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. Well, it was one year ago this week that scientists at NASA were ooing and aahing over the first images beamed back from the Webb Space Telescope amid lofty expectations and very high goals for this $10 billion project. This is what NASA officials had to say about its potential at the time. We're super excited that Webb will be around for a long time and will teach us everything from the earliest universe to you know, nearby planets orbiting host stars, these planets might be quite similar to our Earth, potentially even habitable planets. Webb is going to be a revolutionary game changer, and it is going to more than exceed our dreams and expectations. 
And with us this morning from the Goddard Space Flight Center in Greenbelt, Maryland, is NASA astronomer Dr. Carl Gordon, who, by the way, obtained his doctorate in physics from the University of Toledo, I understand. So we got to get that. Uh, that in. I guess it's uh, it's appropriate that if you're going to work for NASA, you should be a rocket. Exactly. I, I, <laughs> I had a great time in Toledo, and I still go. I still get sweatshirts so I can have my <laughs> NASA rocket, my rock, Toledo rocket shirt. There you go. Fair to say that the Webb Space Telescope has lived up to expectations to this point? Absolutely. I think it's exceeded expectations. It has, for me, and I think a lot of astronomers, it's performed better than we expected, and it's you know producing huge amounts of data and science. Well, yes, that's, exceeded. That's the thing, uh, because the images have been amazing. Even if you know nothing about science and have no idea what you're actually looking at, they are breathtaking to see. But we didn't spend $10 billion just to get pretty pictures. What are you actually learning from the web that you didn't know before? Oh, there, There's too much to actually say. I'll, I'll, I'll give a couple of answers. One, we're learning about you know, at very uh, uh, er, in the early universe, very the very earliest galaxies, um, they're there and they're more um, developed than maybe we would have predicted. For I work on one of my my area of research is interstellar matter, in particular interstellar dust. And so, one of the things that's been very interesting is we're seeing dusty galaxies very early on, and we thought that might take a little longer. So, we're already learning things about you know in that area, as well as learning things about uh, you know the atmospheres of exoplanets right so that we didn't know we and there's you know those don't make us pretty pictures but they do make spectroscopy right this is our way of learning more about things by breaking the light up into smaller bins and looking at the signatures of gas and dust and so on so you talk about uh, some of these discoveries is this just knowledge for knowledge sake or is it uh, is there some practical application to uh, human exploration of the universe here um i it's it's uh, this is basic science in general right astronomy is not something where we're unlikely to go visit many of these places anytime right. soon so we can't mine them we can't bring them back we can't do anything like that but it is un you know, expanding our understanding of the universe. And for example, this is in the past has led to us better understanding of physics and that does feed back in. And so there's lots of questions about physics that we still need to understand. And these are questions like dark energy and dark matter, which maybe if we understood what they really were, it would have more practical implications. But that's, this is the justification for basic science in general. right? Yeah. And it, we just don't know where it's going to go, but we need to do it. Because it's always turns out to be a good idea. Now, you mentioned that you uh, can see back into the earliest galaxies uh, in the universe. And the Webb uh, telescope has been referred to as something of a time machine. Explain what that means. Because we're not physically talking about going back in time here. This is not a back to the future kind of thing. No, no, no. So what we're seeing, we're seeing back in time is maybe the way to think about it because light, light takes time to travel, right? It, it doesn't have infinite speed. It doesn't get here instantaneously. It takes time. It's very, very fast, right? But it takes time. And so we talk about this as a light year, right? And when we say a light year, it's a distance. It's how long a photon travels in a year. And, and what that means is when the photon gets to us, we're seeing a photon that was emitted a year ago if it thinks something's a light year away, if it's like the new image that was released, which is 400 light years away, yeah. we're seeing that that image is 400 years old. And of course, when we see it a very high, very early in the universe, that's over 13 billion years ago. So we're seeing how the universe was 
13 billion years ago. So that's wow. the time machine it, part. It's just, it boggles the mind. And you mentioned, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about uh, the fact that we're getting new images and new data, making new discoveries almost literally every day. So you reference this latest image that is out this week. What are we looking at here? So this is a star forming region in Ophiuchus. It's, uh, uh, as I said, 400 light years away. So it's fairly nearby in astronomical terms. So we have incredible detail. We can see this beautiful picture. So on the top, uh, so this is stars forming out of the interstellar matter, the gas and dust. And so on the bottom, you actually see a, a, a very bright star that's illuminating the existing interstellar matter there. Um, and that's in kind of the yellow and the orange. And then in the upper area, in the upper part of the image, there's all these red, red structures. Those are jets that are being of material being blown out from these stars that are forming. And these stars, there's about 50 stars there that are very similar in mass to our sun. So similar to our sun, we're seeing where those stars, you know, what what it looked like maybe when our sun was formed. Hmm. So again, we're talking about all of this knowledge that humankind has been able to glean just in the first year. What are the goals for the second year? Are there specific things that you are looking at or looking for to learn more about uh, you know, things that you want to learn more about between now and next July, or are you kind of simply going wherever the web takes you? Well, so, you know, what web looks at is something that is actually decided by the worldwide astronomical community as a consensus, right? That people propose ideas and there's way more things we that people would like to look at than we have time to look at. So you have to winnow it down. Yeah. And we've, we've recently picked what are the next year's worth of observations, this information is actually publicly available. You can look at it, too. And so it's it's all the things we that astronomers are thinking about that other astronomers thought were a great idea. And so this is everything from our solar system, exoplanets, nearby stars, galaxies, all the most distance. It'll be the entire range. And it's we're learning about what Webb can do, right? We had ideas, but now we've started the first year's worth of data really educated us. So we're refining. Hmm. We'll even do better studies. And this will continue for 10, 20 years is yeah. the idea. This continues as we refine our knowledge, we refine our questions. So interesting, uh, not only learning uh, about the universe, but learning about the Webb Space Telescope itself and what it is capable yes. of. Uh, again, uh, Dr. Carl Gordon is a NASA astronomer at the Goddard Space Flight Center, and there is an entire section of your website dedicated to the Webb Space Telescope, as you alluded to. Where do we find that to sort of keep up with all of this? Right, so you can find the uh, images, spectra, lots of details, stories and all that, ex explanations of many of these things on jwst.nasa.gov, as well as you can keep up with what's going on on all your social media sites with at NASA web. Dr. Gordon, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Happy to be here. Thank you for having me. You're listening to Good Mornings with Chris Oakes on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com and 95.5 FM. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. You know, when you're writing a, a news story, you have to be very careful of the uh, verbiage uh, of how you uh, construct your sentences because you don't want to give the uh, wrong impression. Case in point, this uh, first story, and I'll just read you the sentence uh, as it is written off the, uh, off the newswire. It says, Nashville Metro Police arrested a man who tried to grab an officer's gun while he was completely nude. And the, when I first read this story, I thought, well, which one of them was nude? It just says, well, he was completely, depending on how you read it, uh, 
it was the perpetrator nude or was the officer nude? That's <laughs> the verbiage is a little strange there. Nashville Metro Police arrested a man who tried to grab an officer's gun while he was nude. Uh, it turns out it was the perpetrator uh, that was uh, in the raw. Officers were called to reports of a disturbance when they found a 65-year-old man with no clothes and tried to detain him. And that's when the suspect reportedly tried to get the officer's gun. He was uh, unsuccessful, uh, so he is uh, he's also accused of uh, kicking an officer. The man was taken into custody on multiple counts, including assault, resisting arrest, public intoxication. Surprise, surprise, there was alcohol involved. And, of course, indecent exposure. So... We've had a lot of nude people in the uh, broken news lately. <laughs> Nakedness seems to be a trend here. <clears throat> but it was good to know that it wasn't the cop that was in the nude. You know, that was, was concerned about that at first. Uh, let's see. Meanwhile, in Memphis, just a few miles over, a woman has been arrested after she reportedly robbed a retired police officer following his death now this is a crazy story she didn't she didn't kill him but at 27 year old shante daniels was at the home of mark leisure this past sunday she told officers the two had an argument when she asked for gas money apparently the two knew each other he's a retired cop uh and she apparently is some uh, apparently is a friend um she asked for gas money as mr leisure was giving her ten dollars he reportedly suffered at that very moment a medical event, collapsed, and sadly passed away. That's when, according to police, that's when Ms. Daniels took the $10. <laughs> hey, he was offering it. She not only took the $10, though, then she went through his pockets, went inside his home, and stole $100, and then used his cell phone to send herself $1,500. She... <laughs> Wow. Uh, the uh, cause of Mr. Leisure's passing is unknown, the exact cause. Ms. Daniels is facing charges of burglary, theft of property, and identity theft for, you know, going on uh, his phone to his bank account and <laughs> sending herself 1500 bucks. Man, now that's, that's rough. What a friend. Man. Hmm. <clears throat> Uh, a couple of other items here in the uh, broken news. In the quiet streets of the Travis Heights neighborhood in Austin, Texas, a feathered fiend, and talk about feathered friends, in this case a feathered fiend, is terrorizing innocent folks and postal workers alike, so much so that the uh, Postal Service has suspended mail delivery in the neighborhood. It's all because a hawk has declared open season on everyone in the neighborhood, dive bombing anyone who steps outside. Uh, residents have become hawk hunting experts, uh, developing some impressive dodge maneuvers and uh, seeking shelter under uh, awnings and any other shelter they can find as the hawk dive bombs. Every, anyone who moves is getting attacked. Uh, the U.S. Postal Service has informed the community that in order to get they, their mail, they now have to go to the post office, which unfortunately means they have to go outside to their cars and risk getting dive-bombed themselves. But the uh, mail carriers have had enough. 
According to a wildlife biologist, the aggressive hawk, uh, this whole the behavior stems from its parental instincts. It is nesting season, and this protective parent is just trying to ensure the safety of its precious offspring. Uh, once the fledglings spread, uh, spread their wings and fly the coop in about six to seven weeks, they say tranquility should return to the neighborhood. Until then, folks just have to keep their eyes on the skies and you know their uh, escape skills uh, sharp. Can you imagine? That is, that is crazy. A hawk terrorizing the neighborhood there. <clears throat> just being a good parent. Speaking of animals in the broken news, officials in California are, <laughs> they have a, a, a thief on their hands. Uh, apparently, a sea otter has been spotted stealing surfboards in Santa Cruz. That's right. The sea otter is somehow s- stealing surfboards. Uh, photographer, wildlife photographer Mark Woodward caught the sea otter on camera catching waves and being aggressive towards surfers. Uh, In addition to Hanging 10, the animal has been spotted climbing into kayaks. It is unclear, the report says, how this animal learned the behavior. But uh, apparently the sea otter just likes to surf. Officials are looking to capture the otter and rehome her, but so far, no luck. She's been quite talented at evading us, according to the Folks at the Monterey Bay Aquarium. <laughs> the surfing sea otter in Santa Cruz. <laughs> I think that they could probably uh, turn that into, you know, something of a viral sensation. You know, it could be could be great for the, the community. The surfing sea otter of Santa Cruz. And finally, in the uh, broken news this morning, <laughs> this is uh, from the... Uh, presidential campaign you know the uh, campaign for the republican nomination uh, is already well underway there are like a dozen people in the race and whenever you've got a field that big there are some that are just stragglers they're uh, hangers on they're people that not not too many people it's not a whole lot of name awareness and so on one of those that's in the race and so far has not gotten a whole lot of traction, is North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum. And so he has come up with a way of of raising money and raising name awareness. Governor Burgum is promising a $20 gift card to anyone who donates a dollar to his campaign. That's, talk about buying votes. Uh, he's buying donors. Uh, Burgum's campaign website says the offer uh, offer is limited to the first 50,000 donors. And uh, the uh, governor confirmed that it is true donors will receive a gift card at their mailing address when they donate a dollar to the campaign. He said, I am not messing around. He's also not polling very high, and that's why he is making the offer to qualify For the first presidential debate next month in Milwaukee, candidates have to have contributions from at least 40,000 individual donors and at least 1% support in three polls approved by the RNC. So he's working on that. He currently has one-tenth of 1% in the average of those polls, but he's working on the number of donors uh, thing. But here's what I... 
what I would wonder. He's giving away a $20 gift card, and all you have to do to get it is donate $1 to his campaign. (laughs) That doesn't necessarily speak too highly of his fiscal skills. You know, would you... (laughs) Would you trust a guy who catches that plan uh, with, uh, uh, you know, setting the national budget and all of that? I think he's got to work on those fiscal skills a little bit. <laughs> there you go. That is uh, today's broken news report. An update on the odd and unusual side of the headlines. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. When you're behind the wheel, it's okay to rock out to your music, but it's not okay to interact with your phone screen and electronic devices while driving. In most cases, anything more than a single touch or swipe is against the law. That means no texting, no typing, no scrolling, no shopping, no browsing. If an officer sees a violation, they can pull you over. So remember, Ohio, phones down. It's the law. Time for your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. Do you believe that your credit score is an accurate reflection of your financial status? According to a recent survey, 2,000 people, uh, 80% uh, of, the, of those in the, uh, in the survey identified themselves as current homeowners, first of all. So 80% current homeowners of the 2,000 respondents. Of those polled, just 28% would strongly agree that their credit score accurately represents their financial situation. So roughly one in four Americans, uh, or roughly three in four Americans, believe that the, their credit score really does not reflect their uh, financial status, their financial situation. About one in nine, 12%, feel their credit score is lower than it actually should be. And another 50% actually feel their credit score is higher than it should be, including slightly more homeowners than non-homeowners, 51% versus 46%. Moreover, 1 in 10 Americans have no idea what their credit score is, and 1 in 5 would not know how to check it, which is uh, kind of interesting. There are any number of ways to check your credit score. A lot of times uh, these days, uh, your bank or your credit card company, or maybe both, uh, offer you the opportunity to see your credit score and get a uh, periodically updated credit score. It's worth checking out to to see where you stand. Uh, But I thought it was really interesting that uh, only one in four Americans believes that their credit score is an accurate reflection of their financial status, but half believe that their credit score is probably higher than it should be. <laughs> we don't have a whole lot of, uh, we have less confidence in our financial status than apparently the uh, credit uh, companies uh, do, uh, as it turns out, which is not what I would have su- suspected uh, from the uh, survey at all, but uh, kind of interesting. Well, no summer break for the University of Findlay's Mazza Museum. Uh, They've got a number of things coming up this month, and joining us with more details is uh, Ben Sapp, director of the uh, 
as a museum, tell us what's happening in the month of July. Good morning to you, sir. Thanks very much for uh, dropping by. We appreciate it. Good morning, Chris. Thank you. So, uh, first uh, thing up, and this is, uh, what, I guess next week, the uh, annual summer conference. For those who are not familiar, this is something you've done for many, many years, but uh, talk a little bit about what this involves. Sure. This uh, Mazda Summer Conference is Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of next week. It's a time where we have nine different author illustrators uh, that come in and share stories about themselves, their work, and uh, the artwork and and the text that they create uh, Mm -hmm. for the picture books that are published. Uh, It's really geared for teachers, librarians, uh, but really truly anyone that has a love of art and picture books, uh, they will take away uh, a great deal of information and resources, even those that have a, an, a want to become authors and illustrators themselves. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I, w- I was thinking because, again, gearing specifically toward teachers, you know, educators, librarians, that kind of thing, but a lot of those types of, of uh, things and, and strategies uh, can certainly help parents who are looking to you know, get their kids more interested in, in reading and that kind of thing. Too. Exactly. It's the stories that they share that really spark the interest uh, for teachers, librarians, parents, uh, to pick up those books and then share those stories along with the text. With so uh, there are a number of uh, you know there uh, presentations and, and and things, and you have breakout sessions uh, as well. What are some of the things that uh, you'll be doing in some of those breakout sessions? Yeah, so there are breakout sessions that are being led by um, professionals uh, in the field of of literature all across the country that are coming in to share insights, hands-on activities that teachers and librarians can take back to their classrooms and libraries to use with children. So this is next week. It's three days. Um, How do folks uh, sign up if they would be interested in attending? Sure. You can go to our website, www.mazamuseum.org, and register there. Um, Over the weekend, um, the site will come down but you'll be able to call and we can get you registered over the phone or show up Monday morning and we can register you then. There you go. And uh, this is an in-person event. I know uh, the past uh, few years during the pandemic, you're doing it uh, virtually, but uh, this is actually happening in person at the Mazda Museum? It's a combination between the museum and the Alumni Memorial Student Union. That's where the keynote sessions will take place. Okay. Uh, So that is coming up next week. Also uh, next week, and this is kind of uh, tying into all of that, you've got a concert. Right. So Tuesday night at 7 p.m., John McCutcheon will be in concert. Uh, he is a folk singer. Um, three of his songs have been turned into picture books, and his wife is one of the authors that will be speaking on Tuesday to uh-huh. the conference. So there's a lot of connections there. Um, the tickets are $20. Um, we would love to have you come out. It's a family-friendly type concert. There are songs that you will will recognize and want to sing along, uh, and we're, we're really excited about this event. Yeah, uh, Flowers for Sarajevo, I, I think, was one that I immediately, I mean, I know that uh, uh, that story. Yes, so. and Christmas in the Trenches is another that was turned into a picture book. So that is really going to be an interesting uh, show, and as you mentioned, great for the entire family. Yes. Uh, and uh, tickets are still available for that. Uh, and a little bit later on uh, in the month, uh, the end of the month, the Maza Art Camp, which you, it used to be the uh, Young Artist Workshop. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about uh, what's happening here. Yeah, so um, July 24th through the 28th, uh, it's a Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. till 2 p.m. is an art camp for young children. It's for those going uh, into grades 4th through 8th. 
uh, they will be able to work and um, experience a lot of different forms of medium um, and uh, techniques in, that illustrators use in their day-to-day uh, creation of their art. And then at the end of the week, um, all of their artwork that they've created will be uh, showcased to their parents and grandparents at a reception at the end of the day. Uh, so we're, it's a really wonderful experience for, for young children, and we have a, a availability and openings for that as well. Okay, and again, to register, how do folks do that? Sure, you can go to our website as well, the, um, the University of Finley and Maz Museum, um, but you can also call uh, 419-434-434. Five five two one. If you'd like to do that over the phone, okay. And uh, we mentioned the uh, ticket price for the uh, concert, the art camp, and the uh, summer conference. Uh, cost involved in those? There are costs in both, um, and those are available uh, on the website okay. as well. Very good. And so for the art camp, we do have some scholarships for children. If if there are uh, folks that would love to have their child be involved, um, but um, may not be able to support that. Um, please let us know. Okay. Uh, we've got a link up on our webpage for more information about uh, all of these events that are coming up in the uh, month of July at the uh, Mazzy Museum. And uh, again, for those who have not been or not familiar, maybe new to the community, this is really a, a gem. Uh, very was actually the first of its kind. Uh, no longer the only one, but uh, still one of, if na- the if not the biggest uh, collection. Of yeah, we're, we're considered the first, the largest, and most diverse collection in the yeah. world specializing in the art of picture books. And uh, it, a visit to the museum, you uh, folks can can visit. Yeah. Uh, just, uh, we talk about the events, but it doesn't have to be a special event. No, we're open Wednesday, Thursday, Friday from noon to 5, and Sundays from 1 to 4. Also open by appointment on other days, um, but it's free and open to the public. We'd love to have you come out and see us. We also have a gift shop that reflects a lot of the uh, books that are, are shown in the museum, and those are available for purchase. That is awesome stuff. And, and you know, we talk about the huge collection, uh, which brings up the point, if you have, if you have been uh, in the past, a, visit, a, a return visit, uh, you're going to see something new. Right. We change the the museum. Our curator, Dan Chazinski, changes, makes changes on a regular basis. So if you come back often, you're likely to see something new and different every time. Yeah. Some uh, just fabulous pieces in the uh, the collection. We could go on and on and on. But again, uh, more information at our webpage. You go to goodmornings.net. And again, uh, Director Ben Snap with us uh, this morning from the uh, University of Finley's Manza Museum. Thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. And that will finish up our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the show at our webpage. We hope you'll visit us online at goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow on the show, Ohio's Social Media Parental Notification Act was approved as part of the state's recently signed budget bill. Lieutenant Governor John Husted will join us to talk about what it is, how it works, and whether it will really make any difference. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow.